Hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito, and I'm here to introduce you to my new series, Parish. My character, Gray Parish, was a getaway driver. I'm retired from life. You know that. He's in a world over his head. Tell me about this driver job. And he's asked to start to figure things out. I did what you told me to. He will try to do what's right and seek justice. Parish, all new Sundays at 9 on AMC and stream on AMC+. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Holy Human with Leanne Rimes is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome, my friends, to this very special episode of Holy Human. I mean, they are all very special to me, but this one is one of my favorites. And I say that with every new episode. (laughs) Writer Steph Jagger burst onto the literary scene with her adventurous 2017 memoir, Unbound, A Story of Snow and Self-Discovery. In her latest work, Everything Left to Remember... My Mother, Our Memories, and A Journey Through the Rocky Mountains, she navigates the emotionally rocky landscape of her mother's battle with Alzheimer's disease. Today, Steph joins me for a wide-ranging, intimate, and vulnerable conversation about her mother, Mother Earth, female archetypes, and so much more on this very special episode of Holy Human. Now, before we start, I was just reading on your website just about you, and I love that you said I'm scared often. <laughs> I am <laughs> scared favorite. often. I am uh, scared often. Yeah, how too. do we get comfortable there, right? Fuck, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. I'm always scared going into interviews, yeah, and and especially with your book because there's so many things that are very specific that I wanted to mm. touch on and mm-hmm. things that you've written that were mm-hmm. so incredibly poetic and oh. stunning. It's such a beautiful book. So thank you for joining me on well, this podcast. Thank you for 
having me. I'm I'm really deeply honored to kind of co-create something yeah, with you here. Yeah, absolutely. I love that both of your books, Everything Left to Remember and Unbound, are both about the adventurous journey. You know, I travel all the time, of course. And I just wondered, what do you think it is about travel that helps us discover ourselves? I think for me, starting with the very early travel that I did, kind of right out of university, really, Mm -hmm. um, I discovered that I was no one but me. There was no role to play other than me. You know, when you travel, Mm. and a lot of the traveling I did was traveling on my own. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't someone's sister. I wasn't someone's daughter. I wasn't, I mean, I, I grew up in a place that my grandparents went to the same high school that my parents went to that I went to. So, <laughs> so I wasn't anyone's granddaughter or little sister, et cetera, which allowed me to then, I think, practice showing up as me, as, as mm. authentically me without having to fulfill those roles. And I think I was, you know, some of the people that I've met on my travels have been people that I've had sustained relationships with over time because I think they they probably had a clearer sense of who I was just based wow. on me being me me feeling the freedom to show up as, you know, a naive traveler in the world. I yeah. love that. I have never had that experience of travel. My mm-hmm. travel has been very very different. When you say that you get to basically be more of yourself and you could be whoever you want to be really, you know? And for me it's been so interesting cuz I'm showing up as me or what yeah, people it's, it's assume probably the opposite. It's yeah, probably the completely. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I love hearing that though. Maybe yeah. I just need to put on a wig and <laughs> like right, show up right. completely well, I think, different. I, I think some of it is is maybe there's a broader question of travel or not, where is it that I feel I have the deepest access to my own internal world mm-hmm. and can kind of like pull that forward. Mm. And and that may be travel for some people. That may be inside of their families for other people. That may right. be in, in kind of more private inner sanctums f- mm-hmm. for others. And I think that's the kind of largest question is where did I feel as though I, I was encouraged to access a larger internal landscape and kind of bring that forward? Yeah, absolutely. For me, that is, for me, that's nature. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I know you talk a lot about nature. In fact, I'm going to just jump to this question because I... One of the things that I, um, one of the things that I've been exploring is more nature and being in tune with animals and just exploring what that brings out in me. But I find myself so resistant to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your book, you said the truth meets you in nature, which is why it's sometimes hardest to go, which ugh, like <laughs> brings me to tears. I. I just wondered if you had any words of wisdom on the resistance to her, because I feel like there's some resistance there for me. Yeah, I, I think um, certainly that line, like the truth meets you there, there's, a, there's probably a couple of things I would think about. Num- number one would be, I think it is hard sometimes for us to go because nature can't be anything other than it is. Mm-hmm. A cedar tree can't one day wake up and be like, you know what? I feel like I need to like put on a bit of a mask this morning and like play the role of an alder. Like it just can't do that. 
Um, really the only, you know, Raven are maybe the only exception. They can throw their voice. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think, it, I think one of the most confronting things is we're not used to that as humans, as, as mm-hmm. walking up to another human being and, and kind of going, this is exactly the essence of who this person is and they can't change it and they can't mask it and they can't be something they're not and they can't pretend and they can't. So I think it's really confronting sometimes to go into nature to go, it is going to show me its rawest, truest identity and essence. Mm -hmm. And it's going to ask me to do the same. And there's very, very few places that we're asked to do that. In fact, most often we're asked to do the opposite. Like most often we're like, could you just play this role for me? Mm -hmm. You know? I'd really prefer that if you just play this role for me. So I think that's confronting. I, I think the other part of nature and wilderness that is confronting, and I think especially so for women, is you know we've been taught that nature is a wild, scary, dark place, mm-hmm. and and that things there are feral and untamed, and there's beasts in the woods, etc. And so we shouldn't go there. And I think that's just a direct example of what we've been told about our own bodies. Oh yeah. I was and, just thinking our, uh, yeah. our nature, our, our <laughs> nature right. is that's exactly what it's been. That's right. And so yeah. I think actually what we're more scared of is meeting the kind of internal, feral, messy, wild, kind of howling parts of ourselves that we've been told we have to tame. Mm. And so mm-hmm. when we go into nature and again, we're kind of confronted by that. I think it's easy for us to mask and say, that's the scary thing, that external thing. When in fact, I think it's our own interiority that we haven't been encouraged to explore and trespass. Yeah. Like it feels like trespassing, which is ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? Because it's our own bodies and our own selves. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons that nature has been so, so, so powerful for me is kind of to go, am I scared of that noise or am I scared of the feeling it brings up inside of my body that I am so deeply uncomfortable by? And Mm -hmm. why is it that I'm so deeply uncomfortable with feelings in my body? Yeah. Yeah. When I go into nature, even if it's just during the daytime, like out in our backyard, I find that that's where I'm not with my phone. I'm not with anything. And it's, I think it is, I think you're right. It brings up whatever comes up at that moment in time, um, can be really confronting and uncomfortable because I'm, I'm just being with nature and, and my own nature. Yes. And that can be, yeah, yeah, sometimes I just, (laughs) sometimes we all want to run away from that, but it is, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful dance. Thank you for that. Yeah. That really jumped out at me because I know sometimes it's hard for me to just get myself outside and just be with ultimately yeah. me. Yes, that that's exactly it. I mean, it's like, are we scared of the nature out there or are we scared of our human nature? <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, that's a big, that's always been, you know, a, a big question for me. And I think, you know, to use nature as a guide, a guide for that. I, you know, mm-hmm. you also referred to, um, you know, in in your question, like, what is it about her, mm-hmm. right? As in Mother Nature, yeah. And and I think there are so many of us that when we think about mother, that can be a complex, scary, negative, um, kind of fraught relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, if that's been the relationship with our own mother, why on earth would we want to have a relationship with the mother? Ooh. 
<laughs> yeah, when you put it that way. Um, right. I mean, yeah, this my, is this this is what you know. If you if you flip this, quite often, if you think about this in a religious context, this is why many people, many men, I think, have mm-hmm. have deep issues in in religious because it, because you know priests are called father. So if you've had a negative relationship with father, why why am I? How on earth am I going to get to a place where I could trust the big father? Oh yeah. So oh, these are questions I ask myself all the time. Right? For yeah, sure. yeah. 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 So I think yeah. that's a that's a learning and a you know the, for me really the question is whether it's whether it's remothering or mm-hmm. continued mothering. There is a question there of how do I if if there wasn't trust inside of my own relationship with my mother or inside of my own relationship with my own mothering of self, mm-hmm. how do I get to the place with nature? where there can be trust between her and I. Wow. That's, you just broke that down for me really well. <laughs> I feel so seen because I, I've been going through that with my own self of like, I did some work the other day where I was revisiting my my inner child yeah, and yeah. and what came out was that I don't, that piece of me didn't trust me. And and so, yeah, and then tying nature into that and then tying my own mother's, the relationship with my mother into that, where I don't, I don't run to my mother for solace and comfort. And so, yeah, and, and I think I've had a lack of trust around mother nature of like, you know, when people say, you know, let the earth hold you, like it will, mm-hmm. it can hold every, I'm like, oh, it's I, bullshit. Right? And right? so, <laughs> yeah. But I, I recognize that I so deeply desire that. And I think sometimes, sometimes I think what's coming up for me around nature is grief because oh, yeah. I, recognizing that I so deeply desire to be held yes. by the mother. Yeah. And, and starting to starting to hold my own child, starting to yeah. be able to be held by nature, yeah, is um, a journey. Yeah, you know, there's something coming up for me just as we're talking about this, which is, um, and I don't necessarily want to get into like like individual pathology, but um, you know, there's something to be said for visiting nature, being in kind of wild spaces in broad daylight, which which feels mm-hmm. to me intuitively like very confronting, as opposed to night. Now, a lot of people would say, well, like nighttime is when you like or in a tent and you hear all the noises and you're like, ah, you know, there, there's a, there's a more visceral like fear with that. Right. But right. I, you know, there's a thought when you ask like, what, what is advice about getting into nature? Like, you know, for me where I live, uh, I could open a window at night and it could be pitch black, but, and I could hear frogs mm-hmm. and that might be the first step. Like there's an intuitive hit here for me. That's like, I wonder if the first step is actually kind of in darkness if that mm. might feel more comforting and less confronting than kind of broad daylight, like what if there wasn't as much light so that I couldn't see it all? Like if it was just a little bit more sense-based mm-hmm. as in what am I hearing? What am I smelling? What am I mm-hmm. feeling myself touch, you know, et cetera. And, and I, I'd be, I'd be curious about that as a, as an entryway in for people that it's also really reminiscent then of, what is the womb like? I was going to say, yeah. yeah, that feels very womb-like. Yes, yeah, yeah I, I get up fairly early in the morning and uh, I let the dog outside and that's my favorite time because yeah. it, there is something very womb-like about it. And I love hearing the owls. Mm-hmm. We have owls that come visit and it's my favorite. So mm-hmm. yeah, there is mm-hmm. something about the darkness yeah. that feels very womb-like. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, I want to I talk about your latest book, Everything to Remember, which is so stunning. It chronicles 
this epic camping trip mm-hmm. that you took with your mom after her Alzheimer's diagnosis. And I just wanted to know a bit about your mother and how you would describe your relationship with her before her diagnosis. Yeah. Um, my mother is a wonderful woman. Um, she, my, my relationship with my mom was, was good. It, that we weren't like best friend, mother, daughter. We didn't have that kind of tightness. Um, but we also didn't have kind of a, a, a palpable kind of tension that a lot of mothers and daughters mm-hmm. have. And I, I didn't feel really kind of pressured by her to fulfill any of her dreams and hopes and you know, maybe right. that of her life that went unfulfilled, et cetera. I had from my mother, uh, she was, de- she was and still is demonstratively warm. That was her primary mode of mothering was to, mm-hmm. like, I have countless memories of just her body, like a mm-hmm. hug, a, a hand, a touch, a petting on the head, like all through my life. So there was this mm-hmm. kind of physical availability and demonstrative warmth through my life. And there was a lot of consistency and, and a, lot of, a lot of safety woven into that. And I think what that gave me right from the get-go was maybe what I'd call like nervous system privilege in a lot of ways. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like yeah. heaven. <laughs> yeah. That, that being said, there was, I, I was a little one, and this is, this is really in the book, that, that felt a lot of emotion in rooms and felt a lot of mm-hmm. energy in rooms. And no one, including my mother, especially my mother, was able to help me create language for that. And that there was a lot of confusion for me. Mm-hmm. In why am I feeling all of these things and nobody's talking about it and nobody's helping me name it and nobody else is feeling it, you know? So there was a lot of shutting down of, of different physical feelings for myself, energetic feelings, emotional feelings, et cetera, in order to kind of fit that mold. And, yeah. and I think that created over time, um, why aren't you explaining a bunch of things to me with words, <laughs> Uh, that created over time a, a large kind of gap for us. I think there's two other things is that just in general, what I was seeing in society and certainly inside of my parents' marriage, which was quite a traditional uh, masculine feminine roles inside of marriage, uh, was a devaluation of the feminine. And so I, I simultaneously like devalued her. Um, mm. uh, because I saw everybody else kind of doing that with the feminine. And, and so it, it kind of pushed me in the direction of the masculine, which is a lot of what the first book is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything left remember is like kind of coming back to that, um, feminine. And so I think there was a large devaluation and, and really a not seeing her. Now that was kind of no fault of her own. That's a more societal mm. kind of systemic, um, view. Um, and, and I think the final piece with that is that there were, and this is kind of talked about in the book, there was her own lived experience that, that created deep, deep shame for her mm-hmm. all around the feminine. And so she didn't have access to that. Like she didn't give me access to that, but she also didn't have access to that. So there was an even further kind of pull for me to, to move away from her. Uh, like to separate from her, like a maiden does. We 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 do that right. archetypally. We we have to separate from our mothers. But there was there was a real kind of devaluation, and I think I think she also was taught to devalue and carried a lot of shame around around the feminine, and so that that created a kind of chasm for us 
mm-hmm. that that eventually through the book there was a you know much deeper exploration of. But that was you know there was a demonstrative warmth, steadiness, and safety on a multitude of different levels, and a, a, a deep generation long rejection of the feminine. Yeah, I mean, don't you think we're the first generation that's actually even recognizing that that shutdown and the yeah, I mean, when you talked about you also kind of pushing that part of your mother away and turning toward the masculine. I mean, I relate to that so mm. much. And it it made me very sad. Your book is so beautiful. It's really brought me Mm. to questioning so many things and so much grief within myself. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I can see where I've done that with my mother and yeah. how I've I've definitely been more masculine driven in my life. And it's it's now for the first time, I think I'm recognizing how much I've denied my own feminine and how much the world, especially right now, yes. is denying yes. and has denied the feminine. And it's yes. enraging. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. This was such a huge part of the journey for me, and this is like was a real kickoff. There was a, a therapist I was working with who, who said straight up to me, you know, you think you're bigger than your mother. And I didn't know what that really meant cognitively. I was like, what is, you know, do I think I'm smarter? Do I think I'm more important? Like, what does that even mean? But, but my mm-hmm. body clear, I mean, it, it was like my entire physicality was like, uh-huh. So <laughs> I, I had to really reckon with that. And, and a lot of this for me I, I think about this with my mother. I think about this with archetypal mother. And I think about this with mother nature, mm-hmm. this kind of right sizing of she came first and there were burdens that that generation had to carry that I think sometimes our generation doesn't always see. Now that doesn't mean that there weren't hurts, that there weren't things that were mistakes made, that there weren't, um, there wasn't pain caused. But, you know, I, I often think about it when I think about my mom's generation and, and her mom as well, mm-hmm. what they had to bury, just straight up bury, to make it through, and, mm-hmm. and what our generation now has to unearth to kind of bring yeah. that back to life. Now, when I think about that in regards to just my individual mother-daughter relationship, there's a lot of anger, right? You, like, as you said, like, I, I just, I get enraged right. at that and I get enraged <laughs> at society. Now, but when I pull that out in a time frame and look at that from a lineage standpoint, long-term, mm-hmm. I actually think there might be kind of like a mystic technique of, okay, this generation's going to bury the treasure. Mm. And that is their job. And their kind of sacred contract, and it is going to be painful, and their daughters are going to be very mad at them for that. <laughs> and their daughters have a sacred contract of unearthing that. And that's going to anger some of the previous generation who had to kind of yeah. keep their mouths shut for a long time. What, what do you mean you're the generation that can now talk about this? And, what, you know, I mean, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. All right, on that intense note, we are going to cut away for a brief break, but we'll be right back with more Steph Jacker. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. 
Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by Brain MD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from Brain MD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back, my friends. Steph was just breaking down the multi-generational, multifaceted, and multi-layered concept of the mother-daughter bond. But when I think about it from that lineage kind of what am I looking at over 250, 300 years? I actually Mm -hmm. think, gosh, I have a lot of gratitude for the generations before for what they buried in a kind of mystical, unconscious attempt to keep safe. I love that. I love that perspective. I've never thought of it in that way. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely have been able to find the gratitude for, for my mother and for everything you just said of the burying. Um, but it's sometimes along with the anger, it's sometimes really hard to like rest in that gratitude. Of course. Of course. It's like a both (laughs) end. This is where all this nuance comes in, right? Like there's lived experience and then there's like, you know, the mythopoetic version. (laughs) And it's like, okay, some days I'm, if I've had too much coffee, I'm probably in the lived experience version. And if I'm like, you know, have meditated all morning, I'm the mythopoetic and, you know, we dance, we dance in those spaces. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about your mother's Alzheimer's for, you know, people out there who may have relatives that may be experiencing this. Um, Maybe they might be experiencing some things themselves. What are, what were some of the signs 
the signposts, I guess, along the way. Yeah, yeah. There, um, there's, there's a lot, and they're very different. You know, there's, there's, there's dementia is kind of the larger umbrella. Alzheimer's mm-hmm. is one of the um, kind of spokes underneath it, and then there's multiple other forms of kind of cognitive decline. And, you know, for for my mother, there was a lot of early things, missing names, um, you know, for just general forgetfulness about certain things, et cetera. But the real, you know, when you walk across the street and there's a there's a hand flashing that says if it's like green, you can walk. There's a person walking and then right. it starts to flash a hand. Like she started to get confused about those types of things, which mm. is, you know, we know this stuff from when we're preschoolers. So there was, there was a general confusion, general forgetfulness, really forgetful with names and dates and places, that type of thing. The main tip off for me, I remember I was driving with her in a car one day and we were having a conversation and, and, and I asked her a question and she said something that immediately enraged me. Like I was kind of like, I cannot, (laughs) but I was so mad. And I got out of the car. She was dropping me off at a friend's place and I got out of the car and it was my best friend. And I, I immediately start launching into this story about how awful my mother is, right? <laughs> like, I'm just like, I can't believe my mother just said this. Blah, blah, blah. And partway through the story, I stopped and I was like, wait, that's not my mother. Like, mm. that's not something she would normally do or say. Like, that is so mm-hmm. far outside of the realm. Like, my mom was a very, like, if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say anything at all. And she was quite silent. She wouldn't really express kind of an opinion, especially an opinion that was harsh or blunt. You know, that was just her. Right. So right. when she said that, I, I I just remember thinking, and I turned to my friend and I said, something's wrong with my mom. And it, in that mm-hmm. moment, just all of the puzzle pieces, the forgetting the names, the general forgetfulness, all of the things that I mentioned before, just kind of click, 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 click. And I went, okay, mm-hmm. whoa, something's wrong. I think that shifting in personality is a very interesting sign. And it's, this is, it's often confusing because this is, we're talking about, you know, two thirds of the people diagnosed with Alzheimer's are women. And so we're talking about a lot of women who are, you know, in their fifties, sixties, and seventies, which is also, you know, menopause. And there are a lot of shifts in our personalities and in our moods and in our, you know, (laughs) and so sometimes it's really tough to decipher. Like, Mm -hmm. am I, am I feeling brain foggy and forgetful and a little bit off and more moody because I'm going through a massive hormonal change. And how am I mm-hmm. talking to my doctor about that? Or, you know, is something going on with my brain? I mean, that's a, that's a right. tricky kind of thing. So those shifts in personality and general forgetfulness, I think, are, are really, really important in that age to pay attention to. That, I mean, to, to be honest, like I'll be 40 in August and yeah. I have... I have a lot of those symptoms because my hormones are changing yes, and having to learn to work with that. Yep. Yeah. It's, I have a lot of brain fog and uh-huh. a lot of like, I'll walk into a room and forget why I walked into yes. the room. And so when I was reading about this and I've, I have had concern until I started to recognize that these are, these can be hormonal changes yes, and this is what happens. Um, I, I did have concern. I was like, what's happening to my mind? I used to be so clear. And so, yes, um, I totally... <laughs> When I was reading this book, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, And sometimes I wonder if that feels like a precursor to something that could be going or it could happen in the future. So it's definitely something as we go through these years to keep an eye on big time. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, our hormones play, there's a lot of research coming out that that hormonal 
support and you know through the ages of 40 and 50 can make a can make mm -hmm. a big difference on our long-term brain health so that's an important um I, I just really think like I, I've thought that a lot this year I turned 40 last year and I it's it is top of mind you know what can I do now yeah. for any inflammation for cognitive health for hormonal mm -hmm. health etc as I look at Really, what is a lineage? Because my, you know, my grandmother had dementia as well. lived right. lived well into her nineties, but um, you know, this is oh, wow. this is inside Amazing. of our our family for sure. How old's your mom now? My mom is going to be seventy five this uh, this August. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that August birthday. Yeah. Um. So you did just mention your your mother's mother had dementia. Yes. And so. What was what was your mom's role in taking care of her? And did she? Did your mom ever look at her and think this could be me ever? I, you know, as I said earlier, my, my mom was a woman of few words. And so mm. there was not a time where I ever heard her say, oh, shit, this, this is, I'm feeling <laughs> these similar things. But as mm -hmm. I look back at the timelines, I just think how absolutely excruciating. So my grandmother had, as I said, old age dementia. She lived on her own. Um, you know, well into her 80s and was then moved into a care facility in her 90s. My my mom and her sisters um, played kind of rotating roles of care. They would mm -hmm. go and visit her, you know, there was one sister in basically daily. You know, one helped more with groceries, one helped with walking her beloved dog, one helped with, you know, balancing the checkbook, you know, various different things. And my grandmother died uh, six months after my mother's diagnosis. So right. there was most definitely a year or two year period of time where my mother was showing signs and knew she was showing signs. We were having active mm -hmm. conversations about it while her mother was in a steep decline. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine, I mean, again, these weren't spoken, but I, I right. look back and I think no wonder there was such a huge resistance to go to the doctor to get any sort of diagnosis because you're just, mm -hmm. you're just watching. It just would have been excruciating. And mm -hmm. I think also for her sisters um, to kind of, you know, to, to see them, to see the two of them at the end of my grandmother's life, you know, in those six months to a year before my grandmother passed, to see the two of them together was just, it was awful. They just, their conversations yeah. were just nothing. They were it was it was really excruciating. So I can only imagine that my mom uh, found that to be difficult. And I and I know my mom used to get um, very frustrated. I I do remember one time we went. I went with her to help balance my my grandmother's checkbook. My mom started to get very frustrated, very bossy, very <laughs> domineering, kind of like just kind of shut up and do this, you know. And mm -hmm. and my grandmother turned to me and and said, she doesn't like taking care of me. And my mom was kind of like, it's not that mom. It's, you know, but there was a lot of moments of, of high frustration in that relationship. And I, that also wasn't my mom. I mean, I can only assume that that was because she was also kind of looking, locking eyes with right. what was going on in her own body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when there's no words yeah. spoken about that, that's got to be a deep internal yeah. experience. Yeah. Very, very confusing. You know, it's so interesting when you started to talk about the 
change in your mother's personality. One of the things you talk about in the book, though, was the picture that you took of your mother mm. by the mm. horse. And there was this like beautiful change in her personality, too, mm. where she was standing in a different way that she would have never stood. And I, I just found it, it started to bring up a question in me of like, does, does all, do you think Alzheimer's actually gives or brings out some of the shadowier pieces of us, things that we've repressed and actually gives it an opportunity to speak in some way? Like that's where, that's what came to me when I, when I read that. It was just interesting. Yes, absolutely. I think for better or worse, I mean, there's a, yeah. there's a lot of stories of people who maybe have spent a life repressing anger where, where Alzheimer's right, shows up right, and there's right. a period of time where then there's, you know, really large outbursts of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, when I think about Alzheimer's and again, you know, I, I move from the lived experience of the excruciating, you know, day to day and the grief and the loss and right. then I move to a lens of kind of something that that is more that I try to do that's more expansive and kind of lineage based and maybe mythopoetic, is to kind of think this is a disease that is allowing this person's or, or changing this person's time space reality constantly, mm-hmm. and so in one moment she might be 107 and in one moment she might be seven or 17 mm-hmm. or you know, and and if I can actively grieve. And move like move into the center of grief, move into the kind of eye of the hurricane, mm-hmm. and allow her reality to her time space reality to shift instead of trying to force her to share mine, like to correct her and say no, mom, it's this. That's going to cause frustration. Right. Right, right, right. And this is for anybody with any sort of neurodiversity, by the way. Mm-hmm. That then, if you're allowing that person to have that reality and you're doing your own grief work to kind of meet them there, I think what you're shown in that place is nothing short of of magic there's a there's a quote this was in an interview i heard with brandy carlisle she said mysticism is the most practical thing in the world the only thing about it is is it found smack in the middle of grief and Mm. i think gosh if we if we can summon (laughs) the courage to grieve what we're losing to say she is losing the reality of her being able to recognize me i'm going to grieve that and i'm going to walk further in then what I'm going to see in that place is this woman in this coquettish stance with this horse, like with this, mm. this grace that I had never seen her have before. All those times that I would have said, like, I wish I knew my mom as a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, if you're willing to move past your own grief and your own ego and your own identity, you will get a glimpse of that. Yeah. And so there, there are a lot of, I think, gifts. I mean, I've seen more of my mother in her disappearance. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's the relinquishing of the roles, right? Like right. she doesn't have to be my mother. She doesn't have to play the role as my mother. So who will I get to see? I'll get to see a mm. friend. I'll get to see a 16-year-old. I'll get to see a, a, a flirtatious woman standing in the horse pasture. I'll get to see, you know, all of these different things, which inside of the mother-daughter role, there's a constriction there. Yeah. I mean, I, when I hear that, like I wish that for every woman, not the the Alzheimer's piece, but the I wish that every woman could experience the the presence of themselves and the playfulness of being all of these m- complexities and that we are because yes, we are yes. such complex creatures that do carry around um, such a d- one dimensional version of ourselves that we That's think right. we have to present and. 
that's what I heard. For me, it's like, oh, there seemed to be a beautiful gift if we can find the gifts in these horrible situations of she got to be whoever she wanted to be because it was in that moment. It's just very present. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I've been fascinated by before all of this, before my mother was diagnosed, I was, I was fascinated by shape-shifting. You know, the idea mm-hmm. of, of shape-shifters within mythology, et cetera. And then all of a sudden she's diagnosed and I'm like, I've got a slow motion shape-shifting. It's like, I can <laughs> yeah. watch a hummingbird's wings move slowly. Like, I have this mm-hmm. gift of being able to watch this. Now, there's going to be parts of it that are absolutely excruciating that I do not want right. to endure, that I do not want to see. But there's also other parts of it that I'm like, oh, you were fascinated by shape-shifting? Well, here you are. Mm-hmm. You, If you want to, if you are able to say yes to this, you can witness kind of a slow motion shape-shifting. And mm. that takes some courage to do, mm-hmm. but there are gifts inside of that. Yeah, that seems like a life lesson of like, where do we place our focus? Because that <laughs> seems like, yeah. you know, that seems like that could be in any kind of situation of the rough parts of things. And then there's all of these beautiful gifts that we will miss if we're completely stuck in the the negativity of the situation. And when I hear you talk about that, that's like, that's a big life lesson of where are you placing your focus? That's exactly it. And we usually place it where there's pain or something pinched. Exactly. Yeah. And this is exactly where we're going to pause for a brief break, but we'll be right back. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula, berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules Today, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello again, loves. Steph was just breaking down the profound and beautiful lessons that come from painful and uncomfortable situations. I think we we actually do need to place it there to kind of get through. Mm-hmm. But but can you, as you're focusing on the initial pain or pinched area, can you add in a curiosity? What else is here? Why is this pinched? How can mm. I? How how does this need to be loved or tended to or nurtured so that I can move into the center of it, as opposed to kind of walking around it and saying you shouldn't be here. I hate you for being here. Right. <laughs> you know, and and yeah. never kind of touching it. You know, there there has to be there's got to be a kind of a curiosity that's included in that, which mm-hmm. is which is hard. That's a hard thing. Yeah, it is a hard thing. I find myself walking around things often. Yeah. <laughs> until, yeah. until I until I finally do land in the middle of it, and when you do. It's like, oh, the the finally not resisting it is what allows things to move, is allows yeah. things to open up. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned grief because grief is, it's funny, we've been touching upon grief on mm. every episode of this podcast mm. this season. And of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't be alive, I think, right now without feeling some level of grief. And for those of us who feel so deeply I feel like I wake up every day with it so heavy on my heart mm. and try to find ways to be able to not ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> like to allow it to move because yes, it's there. Yes. yes. You know, like with your grief around this, like how is how has your understanding of grief changed through your mother's diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. Um that's a it's a beautiful question. I think of grief as a suite of emotions. It's not a singular emotion. It feels to me like a, oh. a, a many of them at once. There mm-hmm. might be pain, there might be sorrow, there might be sadness, rage. There also might be relief and gratitude and hopefulness and love mm. uh, inside of it. I think um, <laughs> this might sound strange or I, I, you know, maybe even like unattainable and certainly can feel that way a little bit to me. But to be quite frank, I think it's one of the most beautiful things in the in the human experience, because Grief. there's yeah, because there's yeah. a there's an ache to grief that is not unlike a thaw. And you mm. know when you when your fingertips are frozen and they begin yeah, yeah, to thaw, yeah. and there's this just a searing <laughs> pain. There's like a searing kind of thumping pain in the in the in your fingertips. And it's not it it feels not dissimilar to that for me that that, that there's this great thaw happening. And when I think of something thawing and I think of it moving from a state of firmness into fluidity, mm. I, I am hopeful. And so mm-hmm. if we are able to actually step into grief and, and surrender kind of to it, then I think we're capable of, of the whole range of all of the other human emotions involved in, in the human experience, which means we can live life in a state of kind of aliveness. Yeah. And and I think, you know, when we when we think about grief, I, I think we we often we, we we mostly pair it with death, right? And it is paired with mm-hmm. death, but it could be death metaphorical of all different kinds, a loss of a job or a loss of a parent, for example. Mm-hmm. 
And I think inside of our society, we, that, that's, that's the master initiation is life, death, life, right? Mm-hmm. So in our society, we try to push grief and death off thinking we will just have increased, ever increased capitalistic kind of uh, life moving in a linear direction more and more and more life. Right. Now, that doesn't happen. What that does is it suspends the initiation and it moves us into living death which is the freeze. Oh, wow. Wait, say that again. Right. So if we push death and grief off Uh and say, we don't have time for that, I don't want to feel that, we think it's going to lead to more living. Right. But what it does is it suspends an initiation Mm. and causes living death. That's the freeze state. I'm I'm concretized. I'm frozen. There's metastasization that happens in that place. We think it's more life, but it is not. And so for us to kind of go, okay, let's look at nature. Like that's like saying, okay, fall, winter, you can't exist. Right. <laughs> exactly. <And> not allowed. <laughs> yeah. And so things would die. Things would actually die. And so mm-hmm. we've, I think we've got to get more and more comfortable with this. And I think one of the, I mean, obviously the, the relationship with grief is like ongoing with my mom. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but I think one of the things that's been most helpful for me with this is, um, I, I believe his name is pronounced Martin Prechel. Um, and he wrote a book called Rain on Dust, and it is about grief and praise. And mm. really how so many cultures outside of the Western world have an element of grieving that is, that is praise, is, is mm-hmm. how we sing hallelujah, you know, mm. how we wail and chant and there's quite a sound to it, actually. And, you know, you, you know this as, as a singer. There's yeah. times where you're singing you're about love, <laughs> right? There's times that you're singing about love, but there's this pain that's, that's parallel, you know, mm-hmm. in a voice. And, and to me, that's grief. Mm-hmm. It's not just love. It's the combination of, of grief and praise. Like, thank God, I felt this person had this person had this thing and, you know, maybe they're gone, but there's, there's something so beautiful there. And I think it's a quintessential human experience that we, we really try and push away. Um, and I, and I, I think it's, it's time for us to start. And as you said, it's, it's wonderful. I love, you know, that, that all of the conversations this year have been around grief. We're seeing this in the mm-hmm. literary world. We're seeing this in, in so many different places that it's really time for us to go like, and this is, you know, Catherine May's book, Wintering. You know, I think this is why it's been so mm-hmm. successful. Because it's like, right, when do we rest? When do we go dormant? When do we say goodbye? When do we, you know, gather and sing and be in ceremony and really honor uh, and be in awe of what we were able to have in this season of our life so as to allow it to come to a completion and then, you know, move into a stage of, of renewed life, of rebirth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was beautiful. How, is there anything that, any practice or anything that you've have felt has supported you in your grief and to get, be able to get in touch with that piece of you more? Absolutely. Um, I would say that ceremony and ritual are a really, really important part of my grieving process. And I want to make this as accessible as possible. This is not some like formal thing where there's a, you mm. must do it this way. I think when people hear right. about ceremony and ritual, they're like, okay, like what are the 10 rules I have steps? to follow, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. And it's like, no, this, is, this has been a very um, uh, f- free kind of made up process for mm-hmm. me. So, so as an example, 
Uh, my mother was moved into a care facility in the summer of 2020 uh, in Canada. I live in the U.S. I couldn't go. And in fact, nobody could go because of COVID. She was just kind of dropped off outside and then no Ugh, one could go in with her, wow. you know? Yeah. So I couldn't be there. And I thought, this is, a, this, is a, this is a day full of grief. What do I do? And so I said, I'm going to cancel everything. I'm going to move into ceremony. And I just, I walked around my property. I grabbed a big branch. I had a, a couple of raven feathers that a friend gave me. I poured some tea. I, I, you know, I basically kind of used nature all around me and had music playing, had candles. Like any ceremony ritual to me is like all of my senses. You know, how, oh, yeah. am, I, how, am, I, how am I embodying this? That's what mm -hmm. I'm trying to do is I could try and think my way through this, but that's, mm -hmm. that's not what my brain's made for. That's, my brain's made for taxes. That's about it. <laughs> I, need to, I need to feel my way through this. Mm -hmm. And so I need to recruit all of my different senses and have them be present and let me make something, let me create something, let me offer something. And it's made up. I, it, who knows, you know? And I, I, right. I, I love to talk about that because it's, I, I want to make that kind of process really accessible for people to be like, a ceremony could be you lighting a candle, jumping up and down 10 times and lying on the ground. Like, right. What, you know, <laughs> it can be whatever you want. <laughs> it can be whatever which you want. I think, which I think is really interesting. I love that you just brought this up because this has been something that I've been playing with is this sense of play in my life because mm. I didn't have it as a child very much. I was forced into working. And so play for me, and when I was really young, like ceremony and being with nature, and that was such a huge part of, of my world. I was an only child. I made up stories all the time. Like it was just such a massive part of my world. And I've been starting to find a return to that in some way, once again, that resistance to nature and, yeah. and, and ceremony, actually. I love ceremony. And it's like you just said, I want someone get, to give me the 10 steps. I don't want to have to make things up because it's, it, I feel like I'm quote unquote doing, doing it, wrong. it wrong. And it's, yeah. And it's, it really is this form. It's, I know that it's asking me to play. Yeah. I mean, most of us know, if we do know of ceremony and ritual, we know about it in religious contexts. And first of right. all, most women weren't allowed to be in those types of ceremonies. If they right. were, there was a way to do it and you could mess it up and get it wrong. Right. And so to really remove it from that and say like, no, you can play. And I, and I love, I love that you've said play because this, this kind of ties back to the nervous system, this really embodied kind of way of processing grief or processing a moment in our lives. Mm -hmm. Play is a kind of nervous system blend of fear and curiosity. Oh, wow. Right. Wait, like there's how do you, why fear and play? Because, because you're doing something unknown, risky. There's excitement, you know, there's that uh, pendulum okay. of excitement through fear we're, right, we're, we're okay. kind of right on, like, I've never gone on a swing that high before. Right. right. I've never, I, I don't know. I've never like jumped in a pool and done a cannonball. I've never played in a sandbox before. Am I going to get it in my underwear? Like, <laughs> you just don't know. There is a little right. bit of like, it's, it's, it involves a vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And anytime there's a vulnerability, mm -hmm. there's these little elements of fear. And so adding it, making it and moving it to play is let's get curious about this. Mm -hmm. Right. So as little kids, you know, you imagine a little kid, maybe nervous to walk. I mean, you read about this in the book, nervous to walk into school, right? Nervous mm -hmm. to, to nervous to be the one to do the sports day race or to sing a song or to paint, paint the picture or whatever. There's nervousness. There's a little element of vulnerability and fear. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, our nervous system 
doesn't know what to, you know, that's a, that's a scary state. I could shut down. I could freeze. I could, you know, a whole bunch of different things. But mm-hmm. the minute I add in wonder, awe, curiosity, what's going to happen here, et cetera, is, is a really, really beautiful state for, for our nervous systems to find safety within some of those bordering on fear moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That I'm just about to embark on a tour, a new tour. And I've had so much anxiety mm-hmm. around it because there's so much unknown. We're still putting yeah. everything together and it doesn't really come together till I step foot. You know, we all step on, foot on stage. On stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there is this, I've been really trying to, cause there's, you know, it's the both end. It's like, I know, I trust and know myself so well. And I know that everything will work out for its highest good. And I also have this complete fear and anxiety around it. And you just described that so perfectly for yeah. me. Yeah, I'm like, like oh, it's just my nervous system, not yeah. knowing what to do with it. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and where's the slipstream between those two places, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love for you, you know, to discuss, you know, losing, losing your mother while she's still alive. Like, how has that, how has that affected your relationship with her and I, when I look at my own parents, you know, I went through a lot with my parents. I've been mm-hmm. through, and, and we don't have very close relationships. And I've often think of how much grief I've had around them already mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. how I don't look forward to them passing away because it's like the second round of yes, grief. Yes, yes, yes. And so when I think of your situation, I relate in a lot of ways, not that, you know, I, I don't have the daily uh-huh. death and grief with, with mm-hmm. them, but I totally relate to that feeling of the grieving before the grieving, if that makes sense. And before we explore that thought any further, we're going to take a quick pause, but we'll be right back. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day smart metabolic burn by brain md can kickstart your metabolism fight stubborn body fat especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey right now save over 30 percent on smart metabolic burn at getsmartburn.com the lowest price anywhere that's getsmartburn.com don't delay transform your life with smart metabolic burn from brain md these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration our products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity 
for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back, loves. Steph and I were just diving into the multiple layers of grief that come with our parental relationships as we age. There's current grief, there's anticipatory grief. Yeah. Um, and, and I think also for a lot of us with our parents, especially if relationships have been fraught or tense, is then when we think about them dying, there's, 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 a, there's a grief of the actual loss. But mm-hmm. there's a, also a grief of, I think if parents are still living and there's been a, tense, a tension in the relationship, there's always some internal part of us that's hoping it might change. Like right. one day yes, they might yeah. be able to do this. One day I might be able to have this relationship. And then, it, and then if and when they go, there's a grief of like, oh, I, I actually never am going right. to get that. I, I'm going to grieve totally. this person and I'm going to grieve the fact that I, I was holding out hope maybe uh, right. in some way, shape and form. So um, for me, you know, the, the experience has been, again, how do I, I, I think maybe this is all of us, like, how do I allow myself to move through and mature through life, you know, maiden, mother, autumn queen, crone, how do I, how do I move through those things with some sort of like grace? And if I am going to move through those things and come into mother and kind of ask the quintessential question of, of archetypal mother for me is what will I allow to be created through me? Mm, yeah. And that could be human lives or that could be creative projects or that could, you know, lots of different things, but what will mm. I allow to be created through me? Now, I also have to understand that as I move into that role, I have to release her from archetypal mother so she can move into mm. her next stage of life. I think what we try and do is demand that they stay there. Mm. And especially if there's been things that are incomplete or we feel mm. are incomplete, instead of saying, I'm going to move into mother, I'm going to mother myself, I'm going to mother my creative projects, I'm going to mother children, mm. etc., And I'm going to allow her to move into autumn queen crone. And that mm-hmm. may take different shapes and forms. And so for me with my mother, there's really been a question of how do I allow her to go on this journey, which is mm-hmm. going to be the disappearance, slow disappearance of her. And, and what will my relationship to myself, like she's going to kind of drop the mirror that of, of my own identity that she's reflecting back to me. Some people had that mirror dropped when they were 14 years old and their mother is still around, right? right. But yeah. then there becomes a question of, am I going to pick it up? Who am I going to ask to hold it? How do I hold it for myself? How do I use nature mm-hmm. to hold it with me? And mm-hmm. so that's an ongoing question for me of, how am I actively mothering, remothering self? And how am I actively surrendering and allowing 
her, you know, to, to move into different roles. I think there's also something really interesting, you know, as we talk ar- archetypally kind of about maiden mother, autumn queen crone. I talk to a lot of women in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, et cetera, that, that have, you know, pretty big mama wound, right? Right. And I, I, I always like to reflect back, like I'll, I'll ask them, like, so how old, so it's okay, you're talking about this situation when you were 10. How old was your mom when she had you? Okay, she was, you know, 20. So she was 35 at the time. Like yeah. here oh, we, here, you know, it'd be like everyone, like yeah, yeah, we're kind of going like, oh, I'm a, I'm a 40, 50, 60, 7 year old woman, right, 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 and I, I really have got to learn how to step into remothering because I'm talking about the wounds that happened and occurred with me mm-hmm. when she was 25 to 35, like mm-hmm. younger than I am now. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like a fully formed human yet. No, no. I mean, 40, like, I can't believe that I'm going to be 40 soon. And it's like, wait, I don't. And then what's really interesting about age is like, I remember being really young and 40 was old. And now I look at 40, I'm like, 40 is so young and 60 is not even old. Like, I we're still making mistakes. We're still learning how to yeah. apologize. We're still learning where our egos are at. We're still like, you know, all of these things. And so I often reflect back and I'm like, oh my gosh, right. Like my mom was only 32 then, or she was only 34 mm-hmm. then, like, or she was 28. Like when she made that yeah. horrible mistake that impacted me, you're like, okay, again, we've got to have people take responsibility and we've got to have boundaries, you know, appropriate boundaries for ourselves inside of those relationships. But, but there is this kind of perspective of, Oh, we've got to we've got to really let women move also into these autumn queen and, and kind of crone yeah. archetypes. Um and and I I mean I could go I I could talk a lot about archetypes. I, I won't go into it, but I, I think that's a that's been one of the ways as you ask about like what's my own grieving process as I move through this mm-hmm. is to allow myself to fully fully land inside of the archetype of mother so that as I lose mm-hmm. her, I gain my own mothering of self. Yeah. Wow. That, what a journey. That's a, that's a definite journey. And I, I know I'm, I'm definitely stepping into mother more for, for myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have children of my own. I have two stepsons, but I have learned that the more and more I step into mother myself, like the more I am feeling like the the wholeness of womanhood. Yes. 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 Yeah, which is really beautiful. Um and it is such a journey. Such a journey. You talk a lot about in this book about the splitting off of self. Mm. Which mm. I mm. I mean <laughs> I think every woman, I think everybody can can you know yes. can relate to that, but every woman especially, you know, your mother's lack of emotional lack of words around that uh really played a huge part in that piece for you as a child. Like mm-hmm. how, how has finding your own words, like how has that changed your life and how has that created more wholeness for you? Yeah. I, I, the main way I would answer that is that it's helped me remember. And, and I, I often like to use the word remember spelt R E dash member as in re member. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like if, if we move like through that. our lives and we split off from ourselves, we, we reject, say, the feminine or we, we reject our, the personality that's too much or 
uh, part of us that might be direct that as little girls were told that's bossy and rude. Okay, that's got to be rejected and split off from. We, we dismember right. ourselves. And so I think for me, there's always been, this is just part of who I am, a, a real thirst for a translation mm-hmm. of, of those experiences and a translation through felt sense and words. And that's, mm. I think, having those words and having an ability to kind of like walk into those wordless spaces and attempt mm-hmm. to translate something there has kind of helped me move through that process of remembering, of bringing mm. those dismembered parts kind of back to self. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, I mean, I could talk about, um, you know, mythological examples. This is the story of original creation, the myth of Isis and Osiris, um, this right. dis- dismembering and remembering of self. And it's a divinely, divinely feminine act to go and gather the dismembered parts and say they belong back together and to create, this is womb-like, to create a spaciousness, even though it might be dark or chaotic or confusing. Mm-hmm. And to kind of create that spaciousness and a translation uh, for that remembering of self. Yeah. I mean, I love that you said, even though it may be dark, yeah, there's a messiness to it. That Absolutely. Can, yeah, that we have to be able, it's like, I, th- I think about, you know, looking at grief and then looking at our own mess and how we have, both of those seem very similar to me in that we have to go into the darkness in order to bring those pieces back into wholeness. Yeah, and it's, I, I think it's not is, pretty sometimes. Exactly. I think this is a feminine gift. I think one of the most harmful things, I think, from a patriarchal standpoint is to tell women to be neat and tidy. Like you have to be this way. You yeah. have to look this way. You have to be this way. You have to behave this way. This You have to be clean and neat and tidy and perfect because there is a very natural, this is the womb, a natural um, kind of place of pure potential that mm-hmm. is only sense-based. It's dark and all you can hear is a you know, heartbeat, is a drumbeat. <laughs> and right. so where is the dark cavern that I can descend into? Where am I allowed to descend and get messy and you know, all of these things? But that's, you know, we're, there's so much inside of that that we're often told we should be afraid of that. We should be afraid of that kind of woman. That kind of yeah. woman is evil, that kind of woman, you know, all of this type of stuff. So to, to uh, this is where it kind of circles, does a full circle into nature. It's like, ah, that's where I mirrored the ferality, mm-hmm. you know, the, right. the wilderness of my own interior, of the messiness of the parts of me that howl, of the part, you know, all of those parts that society kind of deems is not an acceptable woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is really actually our gift that we've been kept from. And, totally. and the people who, who, can, who can descend into that place and who can surrender to that glorious mess are often the people that come out with a new creation, with mm-hmm. new life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, I, don't, I don't think that new life is possible without that, right? Yeah. I would think. Yeah. What is, what is this journey with your mother you talk about surrender. What has it taught you about surrender? Like, what is it? What does it look and feel like to you to be fully surrendered into something? Hmm. Uh, it feels very out of control. It feels. I mean, you know, I think about my mom. She had five children in total. That's a lot of creation. And that is a lot of creation. It's a lot of creation. <laughs> and I think about, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. This, this, 
I just read this beautiful essay about about mother, archetypal mother, as really kind of an, an annihilation of self. That you have to you have to be mm-hmm. both visible and invisible at once as a mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think about that again. I don't have children, so I think about that in the creative process. How mm-hmm. am I both visible? So so for you, for example. You are you and you're standing on a stage and it's your name and, and there you are. You're visible. All eyes on you. And, and you're embodied and you're there. Mm-hmm. And what part of you is invisible enough to allow something else to come through you? Mm-hmm. What part of you have you been able to kind of get spacious about and move? It's like a flute, you know, that, that you can turn yourself into that, that you're like, I am here. I can feel my butt in this seat. I can feel a guitar in my hand. I can feel, a, you know, I'm typing something out as a writer. Mm-hmm. And I can also f- feel there's like an invisibility of me that, that something else is pouring through. Mm-hmm. And you could call that a flow state, sure. Um, to me, that is, that is a surrendered act of creation and it's archetypal mother. Wow. Yeah, I never have thought about how much surrender, I guess, it takes to allow for creativity to flow through, to be that, to be on the receiving end, to be penetrated by. To, to, to be a vessel. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it feels like, yeah, there are so many pieces of myself that I have to move slightly out of the way. Right. right. <laughs> in order for that to come through. That's the question. And if you move, if you move too much of yourself out of the way, then it could be a, a kind of disembodied or. Um, you know, you're not there, you, you yeah. annihilate too much of yourself. And then it's like, yes. wow, that, that's, there too. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a tough thing. And so how do we continue to grow the capacity from a nervous system standpoint, from an embodiment somatic standpoint to be mm-hmm. in our flesh, to occupy our bodies at the yes. same time as disappear ourselves. And perhaps I mean, mostly like the mental self. Right, enough, it is the mental, yeah, yeah totally. Enough to have, to, to actually use the instrument, the human instrument, to run enough energy to create things. I love it. I just have a couple more quick questions. I, yeah. I wondered, I just wonder what do you want people to take away from your book and your story? Mm. It's it's a tough, you know, I, I don't know if I have any specific, like, I want you to get this. I, I want people to find something for themselves inside of it, I suppose, without mm. it being dictated by me. I mean, I think that's a quintessential mother. Like I want you to have your experience and I don't Mm want to put my hopes and dreams over top of it. I'm going to, I'm going to hold those for me. And that feels complete within the creative process. And then I'm going to release you to go in the book, to go and be Mm -hmm. what you are going to be. Um, I I do know that my mom's energy is in this book. And so there, Mm -hmm. there is, I think for some people, they're going to feel that as a kind of her demonstrative warmth comes through. I think there's a, like, how is it that you break something apart so much, but I still feel held, you know, that's, I think that energy is inside of the book. I I also think, you know, our world right now is pretty hell bent on, on talking about all the things that are falling apart, our political systems, our environmental systems, our business systems. You know, there's a lot of things that we're watching crumble. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. It's really, it's very scary. All of the things that we thought, this is the thing that's going to hold me, that's going to keep me safe, this financial system, this job, this, all this stuff. And I think as we watch things crumble, including the natural world, and this is for me with my mom, I'm watching her fall apart. This is the person I thought would, you know, hold me safe and be there. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's important for us to point that out, those things out. This is happening. Mm -hmm. This is going on. And for us to create plans and actions and all of these different things. But I also think we need to be held. I think we need to be told and whispered to and sung songs to that, that say, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, even when we're not. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that in this book. Um, yeah. Yeah. Completely. And, and this, that's, it's that's so very beautiful. much my mother. That, that's, that's very much her. I love that. I love that you honor her in this book and her mm-hmm. energy and that mm-hmm. it comes through. It's so stunning. I have one last question about music because, of yeah. course, yes, I, I ask every guest what their holy five songs are. They could yeah. be from, it could be from right now in your life or mm. it could be from forever. Whatever moves you, I would love mm. to know. You know, Leanne, I was thinking about this because I knew you were <laughs> going to ask. I know, it's so hard. It's so hard. I, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this. And you know what? I, I'm a Canadian. <laughs> I'm a Canadian, true and true. And so my list is Canadian. Um, my, oh, cool. my, my five songs are, they're both Canadian, but Katie Lang's version of Hallelujah, especially oh, yeah. live. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Uh, that's quite so something. Good. Joni Mitchell, Both Sides Now, is oh, a big one. That song breaks my heart. It's cloud illusions, I recall. breaks my heart in the best of ways yes (laughs) uh sarah mclaughlin angel is a big one for me that's and that's like high school i don't know I could not have a list of Canadian music if I did not have the Tragically Hip. So Boots or Hearts is a big one for me. I love that song. I don't know song. that song. Oh my gosh, I have to go look it up. But even babies raised by wolves and know exactly when they've been you. See, when it's dark, fall apart, man, really fall apart. There's a lot of amazing hip songs, but that's a big one. Um, and a more current one, um, Leaf Fullback, Into the Ether. I love that song. Maybe find something you can dance to and hold on to something you know is true and slip into the ether. love that song. Yeah. It's so, that's like heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you. It was so nice to finally see your face and meet you. Right. I know. And thank you for just traveling this journey with me for this Mm. past hour so eloquently. It was stunning. I learned so much from you. So thank you for being here. Well, you are very good at this and it is my honor and privilege to be Mm. witness to and participate in. Thank you. And that wraps up this episode of Holy Human. I want to thank Steph Jagger so much for joining me. It was such a beautiful conversation. And I highly recommend her hauntingly beautiful and moving new memoir, Everything Left to Remember. 
I found it profoundly moving, and I'm sure you all will too, especially after this conversation. And please leave me your thoughts about today's episode or anything else in the comments where you're listening, because I love connecting and hearing from you all. So send me your thoughts. On our next Holy Human, I will be joined by Brie Malason, a spiritual facilitator with a surprisingly practical approach to tapping into the transformative power of your true potential by tuning into your intuition, into your soul. I think you'll find her way of viewing our spirituality and purpose really unique and refreshing and very insightful. So until then, please take care of yourself and each other. And I love you. Holy Human with me, Leanne Rhymes, is a production of iHeartRadio. You'll find Holy Human with Leanne Rhymes on the iHeart app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get the podcasts that matter most to you. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite, with just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.